Welcome to the Soft Power Podcast with your host, Micah Gabriella. You're a safe space to get energetically aligned so that you can connect to your authenticity and purpose. Tune into the Soft Power Podcast for a transformational experience. So today is going to be a really personal episode and the whole reason why I wanted to start this podcast is because I want you all to really get to know me deeper in a more intimate way and not just me trying to express the most tangible way the human design information because I really want you to know and see that there is absolutely no difference between me and you and whatever is attainable to me is also accessible to you. And so today I'm going to talk about something which is interesting to talk about because I think it's one of those big life rite of passage that we should be learning about in school, but it's one of the things that we don't learn in school, even though we're all going to go through it. And so... Yesterday, a week ago from when I'm recording this, my father passed away. And it's interesting in the context of this interview, because today we're going to speak to one of my absolute favorite people in this space, which is Danny Weinstein. She's an astrologist, but also just such a beautiful human soul. And she does such incredible work. We connected over an IGTV live last year. And I know this sounds like, I don't know, an IGTV live, you know, but I just love the way that she understands the spiritual space the same way that I do. And we just have really the strong bond of really disliking the spiritual bypassing that so many use when they come into spirituality that like they continue to do the same shit they're doing anywhere else, but just using spirituality to keep them small. And so both her and I really understand in a very similar way how all of these tools are here to help us expand and help us overcome whatever obstacles and not the opposite, which is knocking us down or becoming an excuse to not step into our whole potential. And so it's interesting in the context of this episode because Danny is an avid reader and I really trust her taste. And when I started reading this book, I haven't finished it yet. And this book is called Lost and Found. And it's won a Pulitzer Prize. And the writer starts talking about losing her father and the word and the sensation and the understanding of what it means to lose something, somebody, why we lose things, what the story is behind the feeling of loss. But it's very interesting in the way that we talk about when somebody passes, right? Does that sound right? Somebody passes. Have I lost something? Like, what is the appropriate language to express what one's feeling? But just in honor of the memory of my father, I want to share the story because it has been really impactful and I'm still in the processing phase. And obviously everybody I'm interviewing is like, Micah, take your time, process. And I'm like... Life, life helps me process. Like it's not, and I say this so often because it's so important to me. Process is not, I'm going to sit in my couch and just think about things. No, like life continues. Life moves forward. And obviously this doesn't mean, again, bypassing feelings and emotions, but allowing them to come 
out and through when they need to. But obviously in terms of dates, this I'm not going to get into the specific because it doesn't make sense because this episode is going to be launched later than when I'm recording this. But I just want to share the story of how quickly things went. And if you follow me on Instagram, you might be able to trace a timeline. But on Friday, I get a call from my mom and she's like, listen, your dad has stopped eating and drinking. And I didn't know that. But apparently this is like the first obvious sign of the dying process. And so my daughter was off school The nanny couldn't come that day because I had already asked because it was a normal work day for me, but it was a day of school for her. So that's always complicated. Her dad was working outside town, so I couldn't rely on him either. And so I just felt this very strong need to immediately drop everything and come visit my mom, support her in this process and stand by my father's side. And so that's what I did. I kind of organized the nanny to come in the end, because obviously this is like an emergency, made my daughter's dad rebook his flight earlier. Uh, The nanny took care of my daughter while her father was flying into town. And I took the last plane out to Switzerland to where my parents live. And I arrived, it's like flight, train and I arrived past midnight and I spent some time besides my dad in his bed in my parents' home. And the first one two days that I was there, he was feeling kind of unwell um, because he had stopped drinking and eating like he wasn't able to swallow the medicine that he was on. He was suffering with dementia and it had gotten really bad, really, really fast. So he was already in a state that was really painful to watch. He could barely move. And my mom had a lot of care to support him. It was really like a very intense situation and very heartbreaking. I think for anybody who knows anybody who's suffering from dementia, whatever it is, dementia is like the big umbrella, right? We have Alzheimer's and we have all of these different nuances within just like the umbrella of dementia. And so watching somebody's personality fade away, there was a part of me that had really already started that grieving process earlier because the person who was my father hadn't been there for some time. And so because of lack of medication, And all of these things, there were like two days where he was like not super comfortable. But honestly, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how the death process looks like for other people. And so after those initial first two days that I was there, I was spending a lot of time by his side and talking to him and listening to his favorite music. And then there was a change in his behavior. And his breath became very shallow and he was very, very calm and very quiet. And just by the intensity of my emotions and everybody else's intensity and emotions, there was like this general feeling that it wouldn't take him long to go. And so 
there's these deep questions that come up, like, why are we here? What are we doing? What is this crazy thing called life? Like we get birthed with such intensity and then we die and, and that's it. It's like really, I don't know, you know, within the existence of humankind, it's such a tiny speck of light of stardust that just explodes, implodes, whatever it is. And that's our life. And my father was a character and he was definitely somebody to be remembered. And he achieved a lot of things in his life. And I think seeing a person with such intense life experience, like if somebody juiced life, it was my father. I feel like that's also really a nice feeling to have. Like I know he didn't miss out on a single thing. Like he really like lived life to its fullest potential. And in the last two days, there was like this feeling that felt like I was guided. There was a power that was over my body that was bigger than I could rationalize. Every time my mom would ask me to do something and I would pass by my father's bed or room where his bed's in, I stopped and I went into the room. And then I just sat there for hours. I could not escape that. And it's also so fascinating because, you know, we always say like, oh, social media and like, we don't have concentration and we're losing focus. Like I did not look at Instagram or TikTok or anything, not one second. And people might be listening and be like, oh, of course. But if you're just sitting hours next to a person who is not talking to you or even like maybe half present only, but there was this knowing that these were really literally the last hours spent by his side. And it was really interesting because on the day of his, of his death, my mom woke up super early and sat down next to him for like two hours from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Then I came into the room and spent like the next two hours with him. And I had been upstairs to like try to make myself something for breakfast after those two hours because I was really hungry. No, that's not true, actually. I wanted to make myself breakfast and then go down and see my dad. But the woman who has been like taking care of my dad, mostly as like a hired support, was like, Micah, you should come down. And I immediately dropped everything and came down. And then I sat two hours with him and I sang songs. And uh, the father of my daughter said goodbye to him. And another friend we had on the phone said goodbye to him. And I asked him to like take care of me and my family from above and some other things uh, that I asked him to like, I don't know, you know, just things that came from my heart. And there was a lot of crying, but also it was really beautiful because even though the days prior, he might not have been fully there, I really felt my dad was really there. He can't talk, he can't move, but him and I really know each other well. And so he was looking into my eyes and I was looking back and I just feel like we were having this conversation and, and then I was really starving and I was like, okay, some other woman came in who also has been supporting my mom and my dad with like counseling on, you know, all of these issues that we're having with his illness. And I was like, oh, there's like three people in the room with four. It's going to be really tight. I'll use this moment. I'll go up. I left some voice message, some work stuff, letting everybody know, listen, like I won't be able to make it today. I really want to be present. I made myself like an apple and a yogurt. I ate that and I hear how the bell is ringing. And my mom had called the priest because my dad is very Catholic. 
And so I hear the priest and I'm like, oh, I'm going to go down to see the priest and be with my dad and my mom while the priest is there. I walk down the stairs and I go into my dad's room. And it was crazy because suddenly the room was empty and I'm like, what? Why is nobody in the room? And I rushed to my dad and I see that he had a breathing pause, like a long breathing pause. And I'm like, shit, it's happening now. And that's the second the priest came through the elevator door directly to my dad. I'm not, I'm not very well versed in the language, but he, you know, put the water on his, on the front of his head and my mom and I held our hand and we repeated the prayer that the priest was saying, obviously in tears, watching my father's literal last breaths. And with the last amen, literally my father took his last breath and that's how he died. And within the tragedy of obviously of losing my father, there is, and the impact of seeing a dead body, because literally it's really just a body and it just makes you realize how ephemeral everything is. And just, it's, it's, just one of a kind experience. And I had never witnessed death this close up front. If even, even, I don't even know if I witnessed death from like far away because my grandparents died, but I was never there. And I don't have another close person that has passed until now. And that image is like stuck in my mind and I think it will be there forever. But there was also really just this release, like he made it to the other side or, you know, Whatever it is, the story we're telling ourselves, I was said like, he's going to go to, he's going to get into heaven and be like, well, this is so boring. Let's go back to earth and do this whole shit again, you know, but whatever these little stories are that just make us smile and give us a little bit of hope and make us feel a little bit lighter. It has been an incredible, unique experience to witness. And my father was really one of a kind and he had really a beautiful, calm, magical kind of death, you know? So the grieving process for me comes in waves. But one of the things that's come up for me now is that I feel my dad even closer than before. Like we were always really close, even though we had a complicated relationship. But I feel my dad even closer now because now he can read my fucking mind. <laughs> And so it's been intense because the next day, obviously, like I stayed with my mom, I helped her with all the paperwork, all of the calls to the people that he knows and so on and so forth. We decided that he was going to be cremated. And I had like this team retreat that I had booked in advance and everything was paid in advance. And so I didn't know if I should go through with it or not go through with it, but it was actually the most beautiful thing ever. So we were all meeting from, from all over the place. We had somebody flying from Bali, from Germany. Uh, and we all met in this little secret place that I love to go to at the beach of Costa Brava, close to Barcelona, where I grew up. And so I went back home, saw my daughter, because it had been like five days I hadn't seen her. And I really missed her, spent a day and a half with her, brought her to school in the morning. Went back home, packed my stuff. Picked up the girls from the airport at 12 something, had lunch, drove two hours to this hotel, spent two days there, had an amazing time. It was so beautiful. It was with, it was light. It was with laughter. Uh, and I really needed that. And then when I arrived home on Sunday, 
my daughter was throwing up and her dad was also really sick. So we stayed a day longer and then we flew back to my parents' home to support my mom and be by her side. So this is where I'm recording this now. It's in her little office. So it's beautiful to be able to connect to Danny because she brought this book into my life at this specific time and moment, but I also feel she has a certain sensibility. I know everybody grieves in their own way. And it's been interesting also to grieve being non-emotional and having an emotional mom um, and really sensing that when she's close to me, there is so much more emotional intensity that when I'm processing this loss on my own, but either way, it's helped me also to release so much and connect to emotions that maybe I don't have as much access to as a non-emotional person. But that has been the story that I just wanted to share because I know that we're all going through something and I just want to keep my father's memory alive in some sort of way. And I think this is such a beautiful story to me, at least, that I felt like sharing it with all of you guys. And now, with less sad news, Danny Beinstein, who is the mother astrologer of all of the cool kids, is going to give us an overview on what's going to happen in 2024 with the planets, because she is amazing. And I can't wait to dive deep. We're going to look at it from an astrology point and I'm going to try to see if I can match it in some way with the human design transit. So buckle up, people, because we're going to go deep if you want to be ready for 2024. Listen to this. Hi, Danny. Hi. I'm so happy to have you here. I'm so happy to be here. And I'm very excited for today's episode, because as I said in the intro, you are the mother of astrology for all the cool kids. That's a a high calling. (laughs) I mean, I think you were born for it. I think you were born for it. I'll take it. So um, today we're going to dive into what 2024 has to offer us. But before that, Mm -hmm. I would love for you to introduce yourself just a little so that people get to know who is the person behind the voice. Um, So tell me a little bit about your path and what brought you to the place where you are right now and right here. It's a, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here with you. I loved our live that we did. uh, And I love your work. So I, what brought me here? Well, it's a very long, windy road. I did not set out to be an astrologer at all. Uh, I grew up in a very academic, kind of ambitious environment and thought, you know, thought about becoming a lawyer, thought about uh, going into Hollywood, producing politics. I mean, I was all over the map, really all over the map. But the one thing, the one continuous thread was my fascination with the human condition. And I started studying astrology when I was 19, but because of the world that I was raised in, uh, which was not a spiritualist world at all, I kind of kept it in the closet, so to speak. And 
I literally say that. I literally mm-hmm. say, like when people ask me, how was your human design journey? I'm like, when the pandemic hit, uh, I had finished my training yeah. in human design. All my jobs got canceled. And I felt like the universe literally kicked me out of the spiritual closet. Yeah. Yeah. Basically the same thing happened uh, just a lot longer ago. I, you know, had various jobs in film and media and technology and, but just nothing ever stuck. I liked it. uh, And I was, there were elements of it where I was really intellectually satisfied, but there was no track. And then I went and I got a master's in spiritual psychology, which does not teach astrology, but is really the facilitation part of what I do, the counseling piece of what I do. And coming out of that, I started doing circles with uh, one of my closest friends, Paula Malice, and she is a doula, and we did circles together. And I would talk about the astrology in the circles. And that was after 20-something years of or 15 years of studying astrology. And then people just started asking me for readings. And I was applying for other jobs and it just kind of took off and I leaned into it. I did not have any strategy or plan. I guess the strategy would be the human design strategy of responding because I had no, I had no plan. Uh, was even considering, which I do often, of uh, going back to law school, which had been kind of, or not back to law school, but going to law school. But it just kept growing. And, you know, the interest in my work grew and it was very organic. I've never done PR of any sort. And so I just, I leaned into it. But I, I think that my approach, which is very pragmatic, so I, I have the kind of spiritual perspective obviously, especially with my, my masters, but my approach is really one that's very grounded. I think that's where you and I really connect and about, (laughs) right? Like personal accountability and personal responsibility and not using this stuff as an excuse. Um, and not, you know, not, not not living life, like living life, engaging with the world, trying things, seeing what sticks. Like I think a lot of astrology out there, a lot of, uh, it, it really presupposes this idea of, oh, you learn who you are and then like the world rose out like a red carpet for you. And that is just not how it works, right? Like there's so many elements to astrology, so many, so much complexity and like the more we engage with the world, the more that we'll learn about ourselves, that we don't learn about ourselves in a vacuum. We really need to engage with the world. And it's a map, just like human design is a map. But I don't don't in any way see it as any kind of excuse, more of like a deeper self-understanding. But then you have to take that and do something with it, right? Um, I think the being is really important, but I wonder if we've swung the pendulum a little too far in the being. Like it feels good to be productive. It feels good to engage with the world and even to fall down and get back up. That's how we build resilience. That's how we build our sense of self-esteem. We cannot download self-esteem. It needs to be earned. 
through experience. Yeah, and I think that this is really also interesting because recently I like posted something and you were like, oh, I just wrote about it. And it's like yes. this necessity of making an effort. It seems like, and I love this sentence because my mom said it the other day and I was like laughing my butt off. She's <laughs> like, everybody's so busy manifesting that they forget <laughs> that they have to be working. Yes. So, you know, there's yes. this thing also now considering AI, right? Like, yes. should I even make the effort? Like I can just like copy paste and AI will give me some like, you know, answer. And so there's really something about this incredible, you know, value that comes with making an effort, with putting in the time, with showing up for yourself. And of course, that it's, it's also the pillar yes. of building self-esteem, of proving yourself that you can do something of part of that self-worth piece comes through you doing what you know needs to be done and being responsible for it. 100%. And your mom's line is, is spot on. It's like, I don't, I, I just don't know where it's all supposed to lead. Just like having my ties at a luxury resort. Like it, that's <laughs> not going to feel like deeply satisfying to the soul. You know, we're here to participate. And engage unless you're, you're literally a monk on a mountaintop, but that is your kind of engaging. But I just think, you know, doing hard things is necessary to building character. It just is. And, you know, people ask me like, how did you get started and all that? Like, it was not cool when I started <laughs> like at all. Like, the, you know, I mean, are you kidding? My parents were, were, like beside them you're doing what like what are you doing also because I've obviously like listened to you tell the story before Mm -hmm. um and this is also uh uh, where I really connect to you and I think it's interesting that we we both have this grounding energy because I feel like it comes influenced from growing up in a very like pragmatic kind of environment yes that's having that connection with the spiritual thing but still being like down to earth like let's yes. you know let's you know calm down um and it's interesting because one of the most like vivid images that I have is uh my mom was like doing yoga and she studied to she she actually studied to become a doctor but never practiced because whatever um but then she studied psychoanalysis and <laughs> So she had this like interest and she was like meditating, but my dad is like a businessman or was a businessman, very, you know, down to earth. All of that shit is like granola bullshit. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like we weren't involved as we're now. And I remember my mom was listening to like Osho cassettes. Ah. And they arrived and she hid them underneath the couch. Because she knew if my dad would found out, he would not be happy. Also, the same. Her mom's a manifesting generator. Love her dearly. Bless her heart. Every month, it was something new coming. Um, so also, like, okay. So I didn't understand the the the, the drama. I didn't understand yeah. the you know the heaviness of that peace in their relationship. So I was like. When my dad came back from work, I like took out the huge, it was a huge package. They were like, you know, you know, in the 90s where we're yes. like, yeah, 120 CDs. Those were the vibes. Yes. So yes. I just like, a huge box from underneath yes. the 
touch and I'm like, look, dad, mom got all this. Oh, how the mood kissed. <laughs> it was like, mm, that was not good. Uh, so I grew up seeing that, you know, I yes. grew up really seeing how yeah. it was this big rejection against, and my father is very Catholic and very spiritual in his own way. Yeah. Um, but that was really interesting. And that really marked this sense of like, all, all those things are something to be embarrassed about. All those things are like, Ooh, all of those things make up excuses for, you know, also there was like a yeah. different connection. It was like a lot of hippies living in Ibiza, a lot of people who were very directionless. Yes. Um, you know, there was a sense of lostness with the spiritual aspect, a lot yes. of like yeah. drugs, you know, like a lot of all of these kind of like cliches. And I think, we and really that still exists. Yeah, that still exists. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my god! But there has been growth yes. into this new consciousness. Where literally yes. this weekend, I was at a gas station, and the guy that was, you know, uh, charging me for the gas, he's like, "Oh, what do you girls do?" Because I was like on this team retreat, you know, and we were like, "He he he, ha ha ha." And I'm like, oh, we do this thing that's like, you know, we read your energetic body. And even the guy at the gas station took a breath and he was like, oh, really? I want to know more about that. And I was like, well, it's about aligning with your purpose. Yeah. And then when we walked out of the gas station, this guy comes running up behind mm. me. He's like, oh, I, what's this thing about aligning with your purpose? Can you tell me more about it? <laughs> and it was really like random person, random yes. place, random conversation. And there's this spark with this wanting to know about ourselves more that is really just growing in all places. Like it's not anymore yeah. the spiritual community. I see it because of, you know, and I'm sure you see it in your clients as well. I have so many clients that are coming from, you know, high fashion and are interested. Yes. Or, you know, like really absolutely completely yes. different niches than the yes. spiritual wellness niche. And that's like, yes. that's exciting to me also. Yes. I mean, that's the majority of, I would say that's the majority of my clientele is yeah. that um, they, you know, are in some kind of uh, alpha industry and, you know, come from a really div driven background and are opening up themselves yeah. in new ways. I, f I, for a long time, I felt like the, the, the major two groups that I was working with were actors and lawyers. Awesome. Now, I mean, it's, it's the, it's the whole spectrum and it's, you know, mm -hmm. I have clients all over the globe, but I find that there's, there, there's artists that a lot of artists that I work with. And then a lot of that kind of like real left brain driven. Honestly, I always think like if somebody would use human design to create characters, they would be so interesting and so deep. Like if we had friends, but everybody is a different yes. entity. Like Phoebe definitely is a reflector. Like that's like 2000% on point. You know what I mean? Ross is probably like a projector. <laughs> I think about that though. Like with, with clients like who are actors, we'll get, I'll get into it and say like, you know, this is a disowned part of your chart. Like what if you explored playing characters that can help you bring this yeah. part of your chart alive, or you may be typecast as this because of X, Y, and Z, but here's ways to work with that. So that's been really interesting and fulfilling. You too. Like you have an open personality. That's yes. why you're that actor who really embodies somebody else, you know, because we have those actors yes. who are like, I'm just me, but I'm like yes. Jack Nicholson. I'm just me and I'm me in all facets. Yes. 
always kind of like me. And then there's these other actors that every, you know, character that they're building out is completely different. And like so, Kate Blanchett. Yeah, exactly. Like exactly. she just, she disappears into the character. Yes. Okay, Danny, before we go deeper, uh, do you know your like big three in your human design? Because I know you know them in astrology. Well, I know I'm a four one. Yes. I'm a generator. Yes. What do you know your authority? Emotional authority. Am I right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, you're right. (laughs) You are correct. Yes. Um, So, I mean, the the four one is like an, an incredible. Uh, profile to have which I think because it's just so rare and it's really interesting because in human design we say it's like oh it's your bonus life but I remember the first reading that I ever did uh, for somebody who had a 4-1 profile and it's so crazy because you have also like a psychic gig actually Mm -hmm. which is the 57 uh, and I have that too and I remember there was this 57 do I have the 10 isn't that the channel yeah the 57 is the gate of psychic capacity ah okay amazing yeah sorry um it's also one for aesthetics and design Uh and like everything that's beautiful and taste but it also has this kind of psychic ability Mm -hmm. um and it's interesting because i have i have i think i have exactly the same but i remember i had this voice that was like oh what if you know, the person didn't have an easy life yeah. as a four one because it's oh light karma. And it's interesting because this woman actually had survived cancer. Mm. I'm like, I'm not gonna sit here and be like, oh, you have a light yeah. karma, <laughs> you know. Um <laughs> yes. I think it's really interesting to see how we get things, you know, taught and then how life yes. teaches us how it shows up. Yes. But the thing that I'm really interested about, because I see this a lot, I have now the Transformational Human Design Certification, where I teach people how they can read human design mm-hmm. charts and make a business out of it. And the biggest thing that I see, and I think that you identify with that probably as well, and I'm curious to hear what tips you have, is that fear that people have when they are getting into this world and nobody around them knows anything. Like I remember nobody knew anything about human design. I have one friend, shout out to Masha in Canada, who I always shout out when I tell the story, but I would leave her like 25 minute voice messages, like telling her about human design and all of these like spiritual things that I was doing at the time and her child work and pain work and like subconscious, whatever, whatever. Um, And nobody else knew because I came from like the fashion background and For me, I don't know why. I think I just integrated it at some point or it helped me so much that I didn't really care anymore. I've had very, 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 very few like negative feedback. Honestly, just one. And it wasn't even negative because I like laughed about it because I thought it was funny. But um, how, what advice would you tell people who are like getting into astrology or getting into human design and they're really fascinated by by it, by their surroundings don't understand and aren't in that world, uh, haven't, you know, tapped into Mm -hmm. that kind of consciousness. It's, it's not the fluffiest advice, but I think grow thicker skin. Like, I think that it's really important to be, to develop the ability to be misunderstood. I love it. Uh, and to develop the ability to, at times, frankly, be unliked. Um, and 
to trust if you're doing it for the right reasons, and only that can be dictated by the individual, that your life will find its way. And, you know, you obviously can't change the family that you were born into, but in terms of friendships, like it will, it will work itself out. It will align itself. Either uh, the friends that you have will come around or the friendships have existed for a season and you'll draw in new friendships. But I think uh, there's the name of the book that my teachers at my master's taught wrote was called, is called Loyalty to Your Soul. And I think that there is something really true to that. It's like if in order to be a steward of your own soul, uh, I think there has to be a letting go of the addiction to belonging, which is not an easy thing. Uh, no, especially in, in a society that is just so primed to like literally get likes. Yes. You know what I mean? Like how many likes can I get? How can I be more likable, more people like popable? How can I look better on camera? Like people are getting, you know, beauty cosmetic surgery to look good on camera, not even to look good in real life. Nobody cares about real no. life anymore, which, which is insane, <laughs> which is insane. Right? I, yeah, part <laughs> of my conditioning, you know, which I was very frustrated with in curse a lot when I was younger was that there was no focus on looks. It was focus on the mind and, and educational development and experiences, but not on looks. And so I bypass that. Like I don't have, I, that's not one of my hangups, meaning it's like, I'm not wearing makeup. Like I just don't, that's not my focus. So I've been ironically blessed by that because it was so not a focus that I wrongly projected it onto the world that it wasn't a focus, but I recognize for people that it is. And I think part of that is learning how to build the interior world up because, you know, we do age, which is a blessing in my opinion. It's like a real blessing to be able to stay on this earth longer. And it's like, the chasing of youth or chasing of the external will never satisfy the way the building up of the interior character. But I mean, it's a thing as ages, it's as old as time, right? It's just that we have new technology now. And I think, you know, focusing on what everybody else is thinking and that it can just really rob us of intimacy with ourselves which is where, again, we build a sense of rootedness and I think, and self-esteem over time, you know? So I think the willingness to work on that, the willingness to say, um, I am going to develop my inner life and I am going to develop my own point of view. No, I think that that's really an essential piece of this. And so it's okay. I mean, I have friends who I disagree with politically. I I don't understand not having friends that you disagree with politically. I do. I think it keeps it interesting and I want to be challenged. I want to see the world from different perspectives. But for me, it's an absolute new paradigm thing. Like this idea that somebody is bad because they don't believe the same thing we're believing robs us of the whole 
vastness of human experience. And also it's like we have this curated algorithm yes. and everything's tailored to our taste. And we live in this bubble that is just yes. like, you know, such short sighted. And there's so much depth and exploring and understanding and growing empathy and kindness towards people who are thinking differently. It's so much easier to get along with somebody who's like, yeah, I agree. I agree. Yes, yeah, I agree. Exactly. But the real human kind of like effort again is in being like, oh, you think differently. I'm going to listen to what you have to say. And even though we are disagreeing, that doesn't necessarily make you worse or better than me. No, I mean, right? what makes one a decent human being is how one shows up in the world in action. This idea that like our morality is evident in only the words we say is so strange to me, yeah. but it speaks to, it yeah. speaks to a deeper issue in our culture, which is everything is the projected image rather than the reality. And, uh, it's, it's problematic because it's, it goes along with everything else. Just saying something doesn't make you good or bad who you are in the world. Just like saying you're good at something doesn't mean you've actually developed the skill set. Honestly, this is, I think the thing, what, this is actually something that triggers me a lot. And the thing that I've noticed is like, and I said this before, yes. the louder somebody yells something, yep. the less in my personal experience, that person is able to stand by that value that they're yelling yes. around. Yes, 100%. Like the guy who was like divine masculine energy is probably like the worst, like yes, yes, get his shit together and is super lost and doesn't know what he's doing. Um, and also the same, like the most activist person is later like a horrible human being to another human being. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, and like, history, by the way, has proven that again and again and again and again and again. Right. So I think. You know, also with the curation and the bubble, it's probably not dissimilar to how it was before the advent of television. You know, probably local newspapers really just spoke to whatever the kind of local beliefs were, and we all kind of lived in these bubbles. Then we had this kind of brief explosion of television and for a while it was like shared and like here in America we all watch kind of like Walter Cronkite before I was born right and then with the advent of obviously uh the internet which I it blows my mind every day that I was born at a time where I watched the invention of the internet like to be born at any time I mean I do believe in past lives but to be born at any time in history it's like being a born when the printing press was invented or like the railroad, but even more so it's so bizarre to me, right? Like just shifts the whole perspective. So, you know, I think that one of the things that my, my old mentor used to say is like, who, who has multiple media companies, et cetera, is like, we are at the beginning of the beginning in terms of technology. Like we don't know really where this will lead. And I think you know, speaking of astrology, I think Pluto and Aquarius is going to bring some real 
2024. Tough conversations around free speech and what that means and free internet. And um, I, I think that it, there's going to be some, I think there's going to be a lot of world chaos that's going to continue into 2024. But what I do believe is that the astrology, uh, if utilized, it's like cementing and grounding in one's individual path. It's like through action. We have a lot of earth happening. We have some strong fire action. And to me, it's like the rubber meeting the road. It's like we have been in a fog of distraction about what's happening everywhere else except our own backyard. And I think the time has come to ground and to really take action in the direction of whatever the individual dream is or life path is. Does that make sense? It's like both can be held simultaneously. Yeah, absolutely. No, and I think it's really interesting because I have to say, I don't know anybody who's been like, you know, going through the end of 2023 without like incredible intense, like it's yes. just so intense. I really feel the pandemic opened just like this, you know, little door or big door where there's been like such a shift in energy, such a shift in consciousness yes. in human design in 2027. We're going to have this new paradigm. Um, and so it is really just the speeding up of all of the bullshit and all of those blankets that we're holding on to yes. that are no longer serving us. And the world is just asking us to up level at such a speed yeah. of time. And the cause and effect also has shortened, right? There's also people saying that the program of the karma is done. So it's like ah. instant karma. You know yes. what I mean? There's not like, oh, it's happening here in three years. No, it's like, oh, this happened. Okay, slap back. Like it's it's Interesting. constant. So the the growth process is also way quicker, you know, because it's not like I did this thing and then two years later. Yes. You know. Yes. That's interesting. So there is just this speeding up of yeah, just the speeding of up of deconditioning and that speeding up of like letting go of all of that bullshit that we're trying to hold on to that doesn't serve us and we we can't bypass anymore. I really feel like it's even those that are not as conscious or aware or are not like engaged in the same way that we are, life is really teaching us. Well, I 100%. So astro astrologically I put that on Saturn in Pisces. Mm -hmm. right? Saturn matures us and gives us life lessons. So Saturn moved into Pisces March of 2023 and it stays there essentially until 2026. There's a big event that happens hey! in 2026. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think that the, the, the gaslighting, the self gaslighting, the gaslighting of others really starts to come under review. And then Pluto dipping back and forth into Capricorn before really landing uh, November of 2024, November 19th of 2024 in Aquarius, where it'll stay until 2044. And Pluto and Capricorn moved in in 2008. So we saw yeah. kind of Wall Street and these institutions, kind of, there's been this kind of wrecking ball. And then it's like, what, what's maintained through the rubble? And then Pluto and Aquarius. So last time Pluto was in Capricorn, 
uh, the Declaration of Independence was signed. Then we moved into Pluto and Aquarius. We had the American Revolution and the French Revolution. So we're moving into the return of those. That energy is very potent. You can feel it. And these things, maybe they speed up now, but you know, the Signing Declaration of Independence was 1776. I don't, I think George Washington was the first president, inaugurated as the first president in 1789. The same, just a couple months before the start of the French Revolution and Bastille Day. So I believe. So you have these things take time. And then the French Revolution, then you had Napoleon, Napoleon, like things take time to unravel. And even with the speed of technology, we're still dense as human beings. I don't mean dense, dumb. I mean, well, you know. Yeah, just the, the matter. Yes, exactly. It takes a while to move through us. So yeah. we have some real things then. Uh, Uranus right now is the Uranus return, the start of World War II. So if you take it all together, it's chaos, right? And you see kind of a rise of totalitarianism. There's arguments on either side, like, oh, the totalitarian is coming from here, it's coming from here. That's the the kind of noise, the underlying energy is that we are seeing a rise in that energy. And the underlying thing beneath that is that how much freedom are humans actually capable of? And where's the line between, you know, freedom and responsibility to fellow man? Like This is also really interesting, right? Because for so many yeah. years we didn't have that freedom. Like there has been, you know, so much conditioning and so yes. like, you know, in school you learn this way and this is the way that you work and you have to have this job and this nine to five. And, you know, the industrialization really put it, put us in these boxes to yes. function in a certain way that like served society. And as we're breaking out of what you were saying before these outer authorities, which we also have in human design, these systems that have been put in place that really helped us create a certain structure on which we can rely on. But now we're noticing that relying on the certain structure also kind of like keeps us caged yes. in, keeps us at service, of something that isn't our own soul, as you said before, also, you know, like this, this being true to our own soul. And so from the human design perspective, we can see how all of these outer authorities are going to start to crumble. And we can see how religion, how politics, how, the law, even my favorite example is like doctors, the, the way that like my grandparents, you know, really wanted my mom to become a doctor or like, as you said, a lawyer were like these huge, things like, you, you know, if you become a lawyer, you made it. If you become a doctor, you made it. And now we go to the doctor and they're like, take yes. this prescription. You're like, wait a minute, I'm going to chat GPT my symptoms yeah. and I'm going to look for like, yes. you know. A healthier version of that thing you want to give me to take away my pain that is not going to solve the problem. And so there was a time where we were not able to question the doctor yes. or the law, you know, but we look at politicians and they've kind of become memes and jokes to us because honestly, who can take them seriously anymore? And even with religion, like I'm so fascinated by the fact that like, you know, thousands of years ago, somebody had to tell us like, you shall not kill and you shall not steal or whatever. Like, uh, of course, I know that makes me feel like shit, but our consciousness was not developed enough yes. right, to understand that. Like there must've been something missing. And now as these outer institutions are crumbling from the human design perspective, like what I'm learning is that our authority is gaining so much importance in our life because only when we are connected to this like 
truth of our soul, we're going to able to transition yeah. this period of chaos that you're describing, being loyal to ourselves and within our inner compass that is bringing us to where we need to go. And on the topic mm -hmm. of freedom, right, and responsibility, now when we're going to experience freedom, how are we going to use that? Are we going to use that to just like use chat GPT, AI, never do anything, lie, you know, my sipping my ties and like a five-star hotel? Or how are we going to use our energy, our purpose within this new freedom that we might have? Available? I mean, right. And those are unanswerable questions. We'll see how it plays out. Like we can't plan for that, right? That's the kind of new chaos and new paradigm. But I think that here's the thing. I think that I actually have thought that with Saturn and Pisces, there could be a return to religion. And the reason I say that is not for moral, for moral structure, but for ritual mm -hmm. around belief and, and realizing that spirituality has become consumerized mm -hmm. and that people want humility in the face of something greater can actually feel very soothing to the soul, right? And so I think that there is real beauty in ritual and tradition and history. Like the last, the last, the final six episodes of The Crown, which I just watched, which is like the most <laughs> Capricorn yeah. show ever, like it really speaks to, there is such be beauty yeah. in tradition, right? It's like, I think that we have this habit as hu of humans of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but holding on to some things from antiquity do, do matter. There is meaning there. And I'm not in a debate about being a monarchist or a modernist. I'm not even British. Yes. Um, but I think that there is something really important about recognizing the human soul's desire to be, uh, to exist in a kind of structure. I think that what's happened since World War II is you've had this development of these corporations which have taken the place of yes, kind of n more natural structures in a way like it, it you know, and the more community driven. The thing that I have uh thought about within this is that we have lost our connection to our community and even our family because society put itself in between. Yes. Us. It's like, because you're paying me X amount of money and I'm going to provide for you by paying you rent when your you know, work life is over, you don't have to rely on your family. You don't have to have bonds and connections and, and like give and receive because, oh, you know, this institution, society, the government will quote unquote take yes. care of you. With, you yes. Know, and that's destroyed. So it has Exactly. And it's, it's Absolutely. robbed us of, yes, local community. And so my prayer is that we have some kind of return to community and more localized autonomy. Yeah. E even the word prayer is something that I think is, I've been hearing it more and more. Like I, I am praying, but I've always been praying. But I think there's something also not only in religion, but also in like, a certain magic, yes. a certain like ritual, a certain yes. 
uh, you know, a non-tangible thing that allows us to connect to something on a deeper level, connect to yes. the cyclical, uh, you know, ways of nature and this rooting, this grounding. That's yeah. It's really, really interesting. I even heard like, what's his name? Uh, I don't know why I'm mentioning him in nearly every episode. Um, and yep. Humerman, which is this neuroscientist, he's like, oh yeah, this is I, like nothing helped. I started yep. praying. It's really. And for neuroscientists to use that, it's like. Yes, yeah. although like Einstein believed in God. I mean, a lot of great scientists have believed in God. I think that uh, it's, if people, and I, you know, I understand there's atheists. I just think if we don't have religion, we just create new religion, like the science has become a religion, right? Yes. Um, yes. Instead of like Absolutely. inquiry, which is the essence of real science is like inquiry and, and you make an hypothesis and you see if, mm-hmm. you know, you test it, you see if it's true. Oh, no, no, totally. And I love how people are like, no, uh, can you prove it scientifically? I'm like, who cares? In three years, this proven scientifically will be thrown out the window. They will prove something else scientific. You know what I mean? People hold on to science like it's the all of everything. And I'm like, guys, you know how often science changes its opinion? You know what but I mean? Also, like, comment it like science says it's good to take a daily walk. <laughs> yes. Hello. I don't understand. Like, I, what? Yes. It's just so ridiculous to me how we seem to need studies for common sense. And I think that, you know, we've lost connection to our own wisdom, to what we can call proverbially grandmother wisdom, and really connecting to, like you said, the cycles of nature, which the, the sign of Capricorn, I think, has been the one of the most... Uh, misunderstood signs because it's been seen through let's say the past 70 years I'm a Capricorn you are yes I love Capricorn so I have a Capricorn moon so Capricorn is actually a feminine sign it's come to mean uh people think of it as like climbing the corporate ladder but really like it's about rootedness and tradition and things handed down through the ages and understanding moving through cycles. It's, it means being seasoned. It starts winter, the final, like it's moving through the seasons and that's what Capricorn means. But because we have, you know, like I said, since let's say the fifties post-World War II, there's been in the Western world, this idea of like, okay, the corporation and we climb it and that's our new structure. But that's not true. Like the, the, what's handed down from generation to generation to generation is Capricorn. And we see it in like, I see it in the, just like in the overall tendencies, I see it in the trends now, I guess also it's like a counter movement to uh, all of this, like uh, gender fluidity and all of these things. Like the new generation is really, you know, trying to find what I would say are more like traditional roles of men and women and going back to like, what's the divine? Like Gen Z. Exactly. That's my niece. Yeah. My niece is more like, I don't want to out her. She's, she's very, very smart, but she's, uh, she's trending more conservative. Yeah, absolutely. And she's young. She's a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, I have a 20 year old girl in my, in my team. 
Um, and she's also, she's like super conservative, but in, in a very cute way, not in a like women are, you know, like are supposed to be home. Oh, no, no. Yes. Like, in a real, in a moment, yes. It has this values but i see it even in the instagram accounts that are trending it's like people cooking from scratch yes. with like old kind of utensils and you know like how are we doing christmas tree decorations in a more diy way and like this whole like you know coffee trend that's been going on for years with artisanal coffee where like it's like oh i'm gonna like you know nobody wants to go to starbucks everybody wants their flat white to yes to- yes and i think <laughs> you know people you know, people think of America as like giant strip malls, but there's actually a a really beautiful history of craftsmanship in this country and really beautiful history of small towns that are being revived across this country uh, where there is a real reverence for local, because America is so regional, people don't realize that either. So it's like, you know, Europe, it's like saying that basically Italy is the same as France. Like the South is the yeah. same as the West, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, it, absolutely. Right. So like, and obviously Europe has honored that tradition in glorious ways, you know, the craftsmanship, the cobbler, you know, the way that we do things. Something like, yeah, yeah, totally. If I look at something like uh, fine dining, yes, you know, there was this point where everything had to be like, you know, I grew up in Spain, so it was Ferran Adria with his like molecular cooking, yes. and everything was super modern. <laughs> yes. And now the people who are like thriving in the fine dining industry are the ones who are like leaving their onions, whatever, whatever, vinegar for like three years before you can taste, you know, they have like really old kind of ways of processing food that reminds you of like 1800th century or whatever. Yes. There's a show. I don't know if it plays in Europe, but it's Stanley Tucci. Do you know the actor goes searching, searching for Italy? He's Italian. He speaks Italian and he goes to all the regions of Italy, talks to all, you know, farmers and restaurateurs. And it is like each region he's talking about ancient practices Mm -hmm. And yeah, when I studied abroad in Florence, it changed. I was, uh, when I turned 21 when I was there and it, I still eat the way that I learned to eat in Florence, Italy in 2001, which they were eating for thousands of years. Italy for me is one of the places that I feel super called to. And I always want to look at my astro cartography. I'm like, there has to be something, but it's crazy. Like I remember I had, uh, an Italian lover at some point when I was younger and one summer we drove not even one winter we drove from rome to tuscany and every town we stopped there was something specific we had to eat if it was this pasta if it was these lentils if it was this oil i'm like guys like this is crazy it's amazing town had one specific thing that they were doing artisanally not italy really has uh, a profound understanding of honoring its tradition. And didn't they just pass a law, no fake meat? I think they did. I don't yeah. know, but they yes. had a law where they were. So I feel like, so I, you know, <laughs> but that's very Capricorn. Yes. Before we so. go further into <laughs> that's good. <laughs> I love how we start about astrology and like the world being a chaos and we end up talking about delicious Italian, you know. Well, what's more grounding in all of the chaos than like how you nourish yourself? Totally. Totally. And it's such an important point also from the human design perspective, you know, like people always want to learn more, learn more, learn more. And it goes so deep. 
and nutrition and how we digest is also such an important part in human design, which I think is interesting. Um, but it just helps us think so much more aligned and, you know, our body is such an integral part of the life experience that we have. Yes. And, and yeah, and actually you have that also. I have alternating appetite, right? Um, I didn't check your digestion huh. actually. Yes. You have alternating yeah. appetite. But what I think is interesting that you have gate 46, oh. which is all about like the love of the physical body and understanding yes. how this physical body is just this vessel that allows us to experience life. Yes. I feel that. So yeah, it makes sense that both of us have this gate and we're like, yeah, yeah. Food and Italy is amazing. <laughs> okay. And we both have strong Capricorn. Yes. You know, yes. Does that makes sense. That's our ground. Yes. <laughs> okay, Danny, let's try to get back to 2024. Okay. Okay. So the the real beginning of astrologically of 2024 happens uh, at the end of January when all planets are direct. So January 26th. Which is the human design new year starts on the day we're launching ah, this podcast, which is the 20th. Perfect. Right. So Uranus goes direct, then all planets are direct. Then February, we have a stellium in Pisces. So there'll be a pileup of, of Piscean energy, including that Saturn, right? And then we really, end of March, we have, end of March 24th, we have a lunar eclipse in Libra, followed by a solar eclipse in Aries on April 8th. And then on April 20th, we have the Jupiter-Uranus conjunction in Taurus. So you're looking at the end of March to the end of April as being a really significant period of change with the full moon in Libra. So that's about diplomacy, right? That's about conversation uh, and how we can create a more harmonious atmosphere with the solar eclipse in Aries, what we're looking at is kind of like that fire starter energy, that enterprising energy. And then April 20th. What, what were those dates? So it's that so like- March 24th and yeah. April 8th. Okay. And then, uh, and then on, on April 20th, we have Jupiter takes 12 years to grow in the Zodiac. Uranus takes 84 years to grow in the Zodiac. They're meeting in Taurus. They're meeting in Taurus. And at that, you know, point that they meet, it, you know, it could be, it's Taurus. So it's, it's finance, it's beauty, it's physical world reality, it's farming. It could be runaway inflation or it could be like total abundance. Like I, you know, expect the unexpected, but it's a real, there's a possibility for a real boon or windfall wherever that hits the individual yeah, chart. From the human design perspective, we have this in like gate three, which is the gate of literally changing the path or changing the world or bringing like a huge, huge immense of like transformation and change into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That fits. Yeah. That fits. Yeah. And then uh, in April, we have Mercury retrograde. So that's mm-hmm. technically the first Mercury retrograde of yeah. the year. Which we have, which just before we have in gate 51, which is the gate of shock. And the gate of shock is really like 
this idea of like something coming into our life to up level us spiritually, mentally, physically, and really like waking us up. Well, that's interesting because it's from April 1st to 25th. So Mercury will be retrograde during that Aries solar eclipse and also that Jupiter-Uranus conjunction, and it's in Aries. So, right, that's that fiery sign. So that, you know, I think of fire as being able to burn things off too, to purify. Fire is used in a purifying ritual, right? And then as we move through the year, yeah, and in human design, it's connected to the heart and the energy center of the oh, heart is all about that makes sense. It's all about ego. It's all about the material world. It's all about ambition, competition. Um, and so it's always like a very intense energy. Yeah, that's why I think that there is this like take action energy on the individual level uh, to set ourselves up for, you know, as the world unfolds. And then May 25th, Jupiter moves into Gemini. And starting in August, so August, we have another Mercury retrograde from August 5th to 28th. It's in Virgo and Leo. Yeah. And then Jupiter and Uranus start squaring in August, Jupiter and Gemini, Saturn in Pisces. And with that, they're a kind of balancing act. Jupiter expands, Saturn grounds. So I think that we'll, we'll have expansion of choices because that's Jupiter and Gemini can be like expansion of choices. But the Saturn is, is, is the grounding cord to help us discern. And that's what we can expect in the summer, Yes, right? exactly. And then that square actually kind of lasts until June of 2025. But by June of 2025, Jupiter mm-hmm. will be in cancer and saturn will be in aries so that's what are your tips on like going through these intense periods of planetary well, I think, energy because i yes. really like don't over plan my- yeah don't over plan um be you know develop the skill of being able to think on your feet uh but also mm-hmm. build resilience Like I think the catastrophizing Mm -hmm. of astrology or human design or anything, it, it, it doesn't do us any good, right? It's like, I posted this thing the other day of trust your future self to handle whatever the future issue is. I love that. Oh my God. Go follow Danny Beinstein. She has the best quotes. I screenshot nearly every second post that you post. So yeah, it's true. It's true. I love that sentence. I literally saw it yesterday. I'm like, ah, so good. So good. It's really, it's really true. Right. It's like, why are we future tripping? Like develop the skills today that are in front of us to develop and, you know, we'll meet the moment. And so I think it's really, you know, I say around eclipses, it's wise not to overplan. You know, probably not ideal to plan a wedding, for example. But that's less about that I think it'll have an impact on the relationship than like people may not be able to show up that you want to show up. It can just cause a lot of. That's so interesting. That's also such an ego thing in human design, like committing, over committing, not showing up, saying you'll do something that you won't be able to do. It's interesting. Yeah. So, interesting. so then August, and then starting end of August, 
we start to move in to what's called the grand trine in earth. And that is a flowing energy between all the earth signs. Again, earth signs are pragmatic. Now there is a chance with a grand trine to kind of move into ease and not take action, but it really can help us start to build the foundations that we need to build and the sustainable structures that we need to build that lasts until uh, end of October. And the other thing is that in that window, September 17th, we have a full moon lunar eclipse in Pisces. And October 2nd, we have a new moon uh, solar eclipse in Libra. So spring and late summer, autumn are hot pocket times because of the eclipses but also because of these other factors that are going on. And then as we move to the end of the year, really Mars goes retrograde December 6th, but we have no Venus retrograde in, in 2024. And, and basically not until the end of 2024 do we have Mars retrograde. Mars retrograde December 6th to February 25th of 2025, I believe. With that, uh, when we're dealing with Mars retrograde, it's a replanning, reorganizing our tactics, et cetera. But I really think that 2024, we are, especially with Pluto going back and forth into Capricorn and then moving into Aquarius. And then we have a major election here in America. Uh, obviously, we're seeing some major tumult throughout the globe. I, that is not going to ease up necessarily. But I think uh, the focus is on our individual lives and ga gaining agency and gaining and developing and building our skill sets. That's really what I see. Yeah, I, I agree, especially on this thing of developing our own skill set. And I think we're going to see such a shift also in, yeah, and just taking personal responsibility. There's this really strong understanding that. And I see it even in, in my team. We talk a lot about responsibility because they're not used to having responsibility because they're used to being in an environment where somebody else takes responsibility for them. And I, and I obviously, you know, take a lot of responsibility for a lot of things. But I think it's so important that we really step into that. It, what you said, it's really about building that resilience, that we are able to do hard things because that's what builds yes. character and that's what gets out of a depression. And that's what gets you into like, quote unquote, healing. It's not the contrary, which is so much of what I see. It's like, oh no, I can't do this. I'm in my healing process. Like unless you've broken a leg or you're like really physically in a position where you can't literally move, all of that is disempowering. All of that is actually removing you away from the path that is going to teach you to become the person you need to be and you want to be 100%. You, you know, you have that person inside of you, but the more you're relinquishing your own capacity of handling things and withstanding emotional pain. And, you know, there's just this whole kind of like conversation around, you know, like, Oh, everything is supposed to flow and everything. Like even in my business, my experience, you know, I have a three, five profile. Mine, I learn only through falling yeah, on my ass. Beautiful. I've fallen down so many times. Oh my God. 
Um, and I always say this very similar to what you were saying in the beginning, there was something that just like I leaned into this human design thing and it just took off. And it's really that experience because I felt so much resistance and all of the other shit I was doing. It was insane. And even I, I, nothing has been harder. I mean, OK, having my daughter, but like that has been kind of parallel. So it's like adding on top. But starting my quote unquote business, starting this human design business has been nothing but constant hardship and struggle because it's asking me to step up. I'm constantly asked to do things I'm scared, to do things I have no idea what I'm supposed to do, to handle circumstances that make me feel queasy that I wish I could just like get out of. Like I'm constantly asked to show up as the best version of myself, as the version of myself that that I want to be, like the person that I want to be. And it's fucking scary all the time. Um, but the reward is immense, you know, the reward, the feeling, the connection is, is immense. It's as immense as the struggle that I'm going through. And yet, if I would compare this business now to all of the other stuff that I've been doing, it has been really flowing and going on no matter how dark and hard the situation has been, I've been through, there's always this kind of light that is guiding me to continue forward on this path. There is not that like block resistance that I'm trying to hit my head against. And so even though it's been the hardest thing I've ever done, it's also been the most rewarding thing I've ever done. And there is an emotional compensation. There's also a monetary compensation that obviously like allows me to know that I'm on the right path because this is the other thing that I've been thinking about. I had this client and she had sold her company for mm. millions. At least that was what she was telling me. I'm trying to think how many. Whatever. She sold this company for millions. She wanted to become the next Tony Robbins, but nobody was giving her a chance. And so she spent all of her money trying to sustain this idea of a business that she had uh, that obviously was not the right business. Yeah. Because that yes. business was not self-sustained and she was relying on other capacities and other success that she had yes. to fake pretend that that business she wanted to have was working. Yes. And this is also just so fascinating, fascinating because now in the spiritual world where it is getting more acceptance, there's people who are like, no, but I want to be, you know, spiritual influencer or a guru or it's whatever. It's like the new it actor. Like, it's like the new actor right it's like i i want to be famous doing this yes and you know that's pretty that's why discernment is so key and i think it's like it's the addiction and fantasy so there's a really fine line between this is my dream and i'm gonna pursue it right and I need to craft a persona that other people see me as, right? And, you know, it's, there's no formula to it because it's like it, it, it's individually dictated, but really asking ourselves, why are we doing what we're doing? Why are we pursuing it? And, if we find that it's to gain X, Y, and Z from the outside, that's probably a sign that we're off course. If we are doing it to gain the outside external thing, probably off course. 
Yeah, and I, one of the things that you also like, you know, that I think you're really, um, that you have a big understanding with, which is something people struggle a lot with, is this idea of purpose. And I think, you know, often people get caught up in this idea of, you know, how it looks like or how they want to look like when they are in their purpose from an outside perspective. And I always say, like, when you focus more on, like, the output than what you're going to get back and you really hone in what you have to give, but this might be a projector thing, the rest will kind of, like, fit but, itself into where it is meant to be. Your purpose finds but also you like. Of. Mentality. You can be a janitor and be on purpose. Like a janitor who works yes. incredibly yes. hard to provide for his family is purpose. Like purpose is not ego, how other people perceive me. And also you're, you're alive. You're on the planet. You're on purpose. I think that it, it has caused so much anxiety and unnecessarily because it's an idea. It's like actually being responsible to someone, to something is purpose. Find out who and what you're responsible to. There will be your purpose. And like, we've lost that with the breakdown of community, with the breakdown, like you said, of the family, et cetera. It's like purpose has become this esoteric thing rather than a grounded quality of, you know, there's, it's also okay. It is okay to have a job. And that the job pays you and then you craft on the side or you, you know, you help your local school. Or you like, it doesn't need to be this, like, uh, it doesn't need to be this giant thing. Not, you can just have a job that pays you. Like, that's okay. I, I can't believe we are in a world that like, that's not. Danny, you have an open heart and open ego and you are a generator. And I always say like generators are those that like they work their job. They, they, you know, they can like what they do, but then they have on the side, these things that really excite them where they have this deep satisfaction from, you know? Yeah. And by the way, really, yeah, like I love my work, but I am a, which you can probably tell voracious reader. Yes. I said <laughs> that in the intro. I said it in the like, intro, Danny. I, and not self-help, but like literature and, you know, you know, journalism, long form. Like I, that brings me so much satisfaction. Traveling, you know, if I do it mindfully brings me so much deep, but I haven't made a career out of both of those things. Like they hold their place, right? It's like, I don't, I don't need to then make that my job. Like Maybe I could have been a book editor, but I actually think I prefer not to be a book editor because I don't want to read through the lens of being an editor. I want to read the lens of experience it. I swear, Danny, this is so like this is so so hilarious. To me. I mean, not hilarious, and like this is just so fascinating to me because this is the most <laughs> generator thing to say ever. Like. I always have this discussion with a friend of mine who's a generator and he's a fashion photographer and he's always like, no, like he does incredible jewelry by hand, obviously, because generator and creates, you know, he does incredible jewelry. He has like Karen Reutfeld from like French Vogue. I mean, she doesn't work there anymore, but he has like all of these people like, oh, you're a jewelry. And he's like, no, I want to keep this to myself. I don't want to do it like in a work way. And me as a projector, it's interesting because I talk about this thing of like energetic peaks in, in our energy type in human design. 
So the manifester has its energetic peak when they have the vision, just this informing the, wow, I have this idea. I'm going to change the world. I'm doing this incredible thing. That's when they have their energetic peak. And then the action, you know, all the rest should do them. They're not really interested in like getting it done because they're not going to. They're really to just bring the fire and be like, this is the vision. That's their energy peak. The generator has their energetic peak in the doing, in the photographing, in the doing the reading, in the preparing, in the building, the drawing, like the actual doing of that creative output. Uh, but the projector has it only in the feedback, only when somebody recognizes you, only when somebody's like, oh, what you're doing is great. Or, you know, so for me, doing something without the feedback which as a projector is success and it is a monetary exchange mostly or often, it makes no sense to me in the world to pursue something with intensity if I'm right. not getting a reward yes. from it. Like, like yes. an actual, you know yes. what I mean? For the pure satisfaction doesn't come into my mind. It's so crazy. Yeah. I totally understand you. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm a crazy person who only wants to do things for like recognition or success. But, it, it, it but, is that's, it but is. that's the beauty of human design or astrology, right? So you can see that. Yeah. And it's not, I'm not saying my way is the right way. I'm just saying I've honored myself no. to recognize, no. No. you know? Yes. It's like, like I baked, I, a, I am, you know, I've been weird. slowly learning how to bake and, um, mm-hmm. and I made like the best almond pear cake the other day. And I was so (laughs) satisfied. And I made it because I was supposed to go to this party, but then there was a tornado watch and I couldn't go to the party. And so I, and I was like, it's okay. Like I wanted other people to try this, but I'm really proud of this cake. Like it's really good. Of course, like I ate it, but I was like, no, making of it was so satisfying. You know? I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay. Yes. To finalize. What would you say, can you give us like three key, yep. keynotes on 2024, uh, how we can best like prepare for it, deal with it? I mean, you said we can prepare for it. So obviously for everybody who like tries to <laughs> pretend we have control yeah. over our lives, that's a shame. <laughs> but um, can you give us, <laughs> me included, me included, I'm like, I need to control what's happening in 2024. But um, just, I don't know, give us something to hold on to, please. <laughs> I think I think it's really like, I honestly think it's about owning, recognizing, and honing our skill sets. And, you know, I'm sure I'm going to get flack from this, but like, it's okay to focus on your own backyard. You can't control what's happening across the globe. You can't even ha- control what's happening across the region. It's like bring the energy back into what you can control, which is how you show up every day and what kind of human being and developing those skill sets, whether they be soft, like communication skills, listening skills, or hard, like learning how to change a tire or learning how to bake or learning how, you know, to put together a PowerPoint presentation, whatever it is, like challenge yourself to, stay active and to engage yourself because it's so easy to be distracted with, you know, first of all, the media, which is completely adolescent and, you know, to lose our connection to our, our own agency, what we can control. 
that's my takeaway. Thank you so much, Danny. Thank oh you. Oh my God. Thank you for having me. We have one last question. Yeah. Because this podcast is called the Soft Power Podcast. So I would like to know, what does soft power mean to you? Oh, it means not what white knuckling. It means um, moving through the world with grace and honor and integrity and not for forcing your worldview, not imposing your worldview or your beliefs onto others. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank Danny. you for having Thank me. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your amazing overview on 2024. Our conversations are always my favorite. You. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. <laughs> if you're anything like me, you're going to be absolutely obsessed with the human design information. And I have a ton of free resources where you can find anything and everything to start your journey of deconditioning, remove obstacles and align with the life you truly desire. If you'd like to work with me, you can visit my website, micagabriella.com. You can follow me on Instagram at micagabriella and on TikTok via Aligned Energetics. We also have just launched our brand new YouTube channel, the Human Design Portal as well, where you will find so much valuable information to hold your hand while you fall down the rabbit hole that is immersing yourself in the world of energetics and human design. Don't forget to share this episode with friends, family, or anyone you think could benefit from today's message. Sometimes the right words at the right time can make all the difference in someone's journey. And remember, your soft power is your strength. Cultivate it, share it, and watch the ripples change the world around you. Remember, I don't care what anybody says. I love you. My mission is to help you understand how incredibly magical, sparkling, inspiring, and beautiful your soul is. Because I want to get to know you as deep as possible, and as a thank you for your continuous support and allowing me to share the human design information, I will gift one person a 30-minute one-on-one free session with me where you will get to ask three of your most burning questions. If you go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review on any of the episodes, you can go to the show notes of this episode and find a detailed description on how you can leave your feedback, your review, and participate in being able to win this 30-minute one-on-one private session, you and I, and figure out how we can get you closer to your desired life.